Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, God, for bringing us all here safely. God, we do ask that your grace would be upon those who are sick today. God, that your healing power would just be released from heaven. I think of Timmy even now as she's uh, struggling with COVID and and others who are under the weather. God, we just pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. God, that even though they're not here in the physical form with us, God, I pray that they would sense your presence with us in spirit. Lord, and I just pray a special grace on them today. God, I pray this morning as we continue in our study about suiting up, about the armor of God and this warfare that that we're engaged in each and every day of our lives. God, I pray you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart that's able to receive and believe all that you have for us, God. We pray for fresh revelation. I pray that the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, you give us all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, that you would open us to greater realities of who you are, greater depths of your goodness. God, take us deeper into your heart. And Lord, I pray that your love would just be tangible in this place today. Fill us with your presence. Fill the room, God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I'm so thankful Uh, For you being here today, I pray that you're having a meaningful time with the Lord as you're engaging in the devotional. For those of you that have been on this journey of fasting and praying with us since the beginning of the year, and uh, and so I just, it's exciting and encouraging to me to hear the testimonies and, and just how it's impacting you. We are on day 14, so we are on the home stretch. This is uh, going to be the last the last week of the fasting and prayer. Um, but uh, today's message, it kind of coincides with what you'll be reading if you haven't already done so this morning. And, uh, and uh, just what I believe that God's heart is for the church. Today's message is called the power of a loving church. The power of a loving church. And, and I just, I think many of us probably in this room have had some kind of church experience. And I would hope that when you think back on that church experience, you would say, man, that was a loving experience. But the sad reality is, is not everybody has that experience. There, there have been a lot of people that I meet more and more all the time that they love God, they believe in God, but they don't go to church because they have wounds that are associated with the gathering of the church. And so that they don't go because they don't want to risk getting hurt again. And so this is why this is so important and why it's important for us to be a church that's driven by love. And that's one of our core values here. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the message today, it's my reference to Nacho Libre. If you have not seen that movie, it's time to break that out. It's a good laugh. I remember when I was younger, I was growing up, my just starting out in the workforce, my pastor that was the pastor of the church that we attended used to always say, you know, periodically in his sermons that if you ever wanted to get ahead in life, all you have to do is work hard because you'll have so little competition. And that was like 20 years ago. And I look at today with the state of our fast food service, 
Anybody want to testify? I mean, I'm just like, can we get a cheeseburger, right? I mean, it's the same thing, like, every day, right? But it's, the reality is, is that nobody really just wants to work hard. Nobody wants to show up on time for work. Nobody wants to put in a couple extra hours to get the job done. It, it's just like this mindset is kind of evaporated. But the same principle is true. If you want to get ahead in life, work hard because you'll stand above the rest. And I took that to heart with every job that, that I was a part of. And without fail, uh, God blessed that effort, and I was promoted in each of those jobs. I, I went from being the grunt, the bottom of the barrel, to a supervisor, to an, uh, almost an assistant manager at one point, and, and so on and so forth. And so I, I understand the truth of that, that principle. And I always looked forward to getting promoted. Why? Because once you're promoted... All the stuff you didn't really like to do, you didn't really have to do anymore. You could pass that on to somebody else. Right? I remember becoming a, a manager of a, a, a video store, and I always used to hate having to go in and clean the bathrooms. Well, when I'm counting the money, somebody else is cleaning the bathroom, right? It's just how it worked. So with a promotion comes privileges. It comes benefits. It comes new responsibilities. How many of you know the Christian life is a lot like that? Did you know we've been promoted? We're no longer in the old covenant. We've been promoted into the new covenant. We're not a part of that old relationship of religious rules and duties and rituals where you have to like kill an animal just because you stubbed your toe and said a naughty word. You know, you, you don't got to do that anymore. We don't have to do that stuff that we didn't want to do anymore. The Old Testament had 613 commands that had to be obeyed to the T just to have a relationship with God. We don't have to do that anymore. Praise God. Amen. But we're in a new relationship. So there's new privileges. But there's also new responsibilities. How many of you remember the memory verse from last week? Anybody? Anybody do your homework? Anyone want to just lie real quick, make me feel good? No? Okay. All right. It's Galatians 3.13. We'll throw that up on the screen. Galatians 3.13. Here's what we talked about last week. Talking about how sometimes that when we step outside of God's will, we can open up like curses onto ourselves. And we, we can see the way that that can even follow down a family line with, like, you have an alcoholic father who has an alcoholic child and a drug at, you know, addiction goes through the family line. We can see these things manifest in, in family lines. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ bore our curses on the cross, and through his death and his shed blood and his glorious resurrection, those curses can be broken, and we don't have to live under that anymore. And that's what Paul is telling us in Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has rescued us. Somebody say rescued us. Rescue. He's rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, that, that old relationship when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, and for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. So what Jesus did is he took on himself the responsibility of those curses that were unleashed because of breaking the laws of God. And he carried those consequences for our sins, not just eternal judgment, which it would be enough. Keeping us out of hell would, would have been enough. But it's not just keeping us out of hell, 
but also the consequences that have come because of our disobedience. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have consequences when we do wrong things. How many of you know if you speed, you get a what? You get a ticket, right? Jesus died for our sins, but just because he died for our sins doesn't mean you don't have consequences. There are consequences. But what it does mean is that the curses or the ground that we surrender to the enemy that gives him authority to mess with our lives, that can be revoked and taken back because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That we don't have to live under that brokenness anymore, those, those things that are unleashed because of Jesus. We don't have to fear the judgment of the old law because we're under Christ. We are not under the old covenant of law. We're under the new covenant of grace through our faith. Somebody say amen. 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 I mean, this is, this is the, the, one of the greatest things that we can believe and understand in this life. We're in a new relationship. Now, with this new relationship, we have new responsibilities. We're also under a law. It's not the law of Moses, the old law, but it's a new law. It's the law of Christ. Somebody say the law of Christ. And here's what the law of Christ is. Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other other this is a new commandment now if you think about in the old testament there were commands to love in the old testament right love the lord god with all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself jesus said those were the two greatest commandments but the, the, there's a nuance here that's a little different he's saying love each other how just as i have loved you so you should love each other so it's not just loving other people the way you take care of yourself, the way you love yourself. It's, lo it's going above and beyond that, loving others the way Jesus has loved us. So our entire relationship with God rests on our love for him. The more we love him, the more we'll trust him, the more we'll walk in faith. But the way our love for God is revealed most often is how we interact with other people. 1 John 4, 20 through 21, the Bible says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? Oh, snap. I don't know if that's stung enough. Let's read that again. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? Say it out loud. A liar. Woo. If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Like, it's the deal. Like We don't like to face this. We talked about God's word being like a mirror a few weeks ago. Remember that? Where you stare into God's word. And what we see often when we see the reflection isn't always what we like to see. And I know some of you in here are like, man... Yeah, I, I love God, but yeah, there's that one person at work. Oh, there's, a, there's that one relative that I can't, you know, that just, there's that person. But here's what God's word says. How we love others reveals how we truly love him. It's a true reflection of how we love God. And so Jesus is emphasizing here to his disciples, you must love each other, not just any old way, but you must love each other how I have loved 
you. And how did Jesus love us, beloved? How did he love us? John 15, 13, Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus gave it all. He sacrificed everything. He sacrificed everything to love us. Now, our world likes to talk about love. Man, there's a catchy phrase right now. It's like, love is love. It's very catchy. People like to, to use that phrase. But how many of you know love isn't love? All love isn't equal. See, the world's definition of love is not the same as God's definition of love. The world's definition is self-seeking and self-gratifying. I want you to approve of me just as I am in the way I want to be. But that's not God's definition of love. God's definition is self-sacrificing. We put ourselves aside for the good of someone else. So Paul the Apostle, he writes to the church of Galatia, and he is instructing them on how to live out this law of Christ, how to live out this command that God has given us in this new relationship. In Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 2, this is going to be the main passage. We're going to kind of break this down a little bit. But here's what he says to the church. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. A couple of quick notes here. First, the New Living Translation, is which we just read of the scriptures, it, it tells us that our posture when dealing with other people's issues and when in confronting other people to help them with the things they're struggling with ought to be one of humility and gentleness. But if you go to the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, literally, the phrase is the spirit of meekness. How many of you use that word meekness in your everyday language? Not very often. We kind of we get it. But here's what meekness means. It means to not have a domineering or dominating attitude. It's to have a submissive attitude. And so a spirit of humility and submissiveness. It is also synonymous with gentleness, the quality of being kind and tender. So if you think about what he's saying, he's saying when you go to help somebody with an issue, you're not coming with a strong hand. You're coming with a gentle touch. Before we ever attempt to help someone, we need to make sure we have the same attitude that Jesus had. And what attitude do we see? Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm what? I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Where does the rest come from? It comes from the one who's humble and gentle, the one who's a safe place. So even dealing with hard truths, and Jesus dealt with some hard stuff, he's still kind, and he's not domineering or demeaning. He's not putting you down because you have stuff. Think about the story about the woman caught in adultery. You remember that story in the New Testament? I don't know how these guys caught her in adultery or how they found her. I think they set her up. That's just my personal opinion. But... You know, they drug her out. I don't know where the guy was. That it takes two to have an adultery. You know, the guy should have been stoned to death too. But here they have the girl. They bring her before Jesus, and they're, they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. 
They say, Jesus, the law says she ought to be stoned to death. What do we do? And he kneels down. He writes something in the sand. I wish we knew what that was. I'm sure it was good. Could have been a stick figure. I don't know. But I'm sure, I'm sure it was significant. I, knew, I know it was probably, probably good because it made them stop in their tracks. And he stood up and he said, those without sin cast the first stone. And all of her accusers dropped their stones and left. And Jesus looked at the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus didn't approve of what she had done. But he also didn't smack her with more judgment, more condemnation. He didn't lash her with his words. What did he do? He picked her up in grace and in gentleness and empowered her to change her life. So this is the, the type of attitude that Jesus had. This is the humble, the meek, the gentle. Secondly, we must be humble. Being humble means not feeling one's sense of own, one's own importance. Like, we can't be loving people and judging them at the same time. You know, you might be doing the right thing, but with the wrong attitude, it's still the wrong thing. Right? So you can, you can fall into the devil's trap. This is what Paul warns us in Galatians 6. He's like, if you're not coming and approaching this person's issue with the right attitude, with a humble heart, you can fall into the trap of the devil. Pride and self-righteousness open doors to the enemy. In the book of Proverbs, it lists seven things that God hates. I think if you want to stay on God's good side, you probably ought to know what he hates. There's seven things that God hates. One of those is a proud look. Anybody ever look down their nose at somebody because of the way they're dressed or the way they smell or the way they annoy you, you know? Or there, there are those things where we're just like, that person again, you know what I mean? That's one of the things God hates. Because what are we doing the minute we look down at somebody else? We're exalting ourselves. And as foolish as it is, because as we're looking down at somebody else, somebody else is probably looking down on us. God hates a proud look. So even in doing something good, you can be inviting something into your life that's not good. Thirdly, Paul says, if, then, you should. He says, if you see someone taking in a fault, then you should, right? So this is, this is an imperative. This is a directive. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Paul is saying, look, this is not optional for the body of Christ and for the church. Like, we're here. We're a family, but we're also uh, brothers in arms. We're watching each other's back. And, and if I see you doing something that's going to hurt you and I say nothing... How could I be loving you? Like, I, I don't blast you. I don't put you on blast, throw it out on Facebook so everyone can, you know, mock you and laugh at you. No, but I, as a person who loves you, I got to come beside you and say, hey, I'm concerned. There's, there's some stuff going on. You see, it takes loving people enough to allow them to help you in your situation. Did you know that you have to love people to let them in in your stuff? Like when we isolate, we say, no, this is my stuff. It's nobody else's business. We're not loving people. We're not letting people do what God's called them to do. We're not loving them enough to let them help us. But the same is true if we're not willing to step out and help somebody else. We're not loving them either. So for the church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be a church driven by love, gone are the days we try to be so private that we try to battle everything alone. 
gone are the days. And gone are the days where we leave others out to dry because we feel like it's none of our business or it's too much of an inconvenience to help them. Now, there's only one Savior, and I have to say this because we're not the fix-it police. We can't fix everybody. We can't fix anybody. If we could, we'd fix ourselves. And I'm not fixed, and I know y'all ain't fixed because y'all tell me all your problems, right? <laughs> so so we, can't, we can't fix each other. There's only one Savior. Let's get that right. Amen? Amen? There's only one Savior, but we are his hands and his feet that he uses to help each other, right? So we should get involved, but not first without checking our hearts and our attitude, because helping isn't always helping. How many of you have, know someone who likes to help, but in the end, they don't really help all that much? Or if they do, it's always to work it out into their favor, according to their expectations. You know what I'm saying? You got a relative like that? You know, I, I've had to face this even in my own marriage, you know, where... Tony and I would have a disagreement, and she'd be upset about something, and I'm trying to, like, make it all better and schmooze it all better just because I don't want the conflict anymore. So it's not even really about what she's dealing with. It's the fact that I don't want to be fighting, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to not fight anymore, and it's just the wrong motivation. You know, so we, we have to check our hearts when we're trying to help people, that we're actually trying to help for their good and not because of our own expectations. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, he says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Now, why would God have to say that in the, like in the scripture? Why, why, why do you think that was written down 2,000 years ago? Don't just pretend to love people, really love them. It's because we struggle with it. We're all self-centered. He says, really love them. He says, hate what's wrong, but hold tightly to what is good. Hate the garbage that messes with people's lives, but love the people. Really love them. Have a concern. The Holy Spirit knew that we would struggle with these things. And so we could be doing what's good, but without doing it in love, it doesn't win us any points with God. And 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes at length to describe about people who do all sorts of good, but they don't have love. And what's he call it? He says it's meaningless. You, you could do the greatest miracle, the greatest act of service, but if it's not motivated by love, it doesn't matter. And here at Vertical Life Church, we don't want fake nice here. Can I say that? We don't want fake nice. We want real nice. You know what I'm saying? We want real love. We want to love and be loved in the mess just as much as in the blessing. When you're, can I tell you, you're, you have permission to have a bad day here, to come in and just be having a hard time. You have permission. Why? Because we all have those days. And we come to be encouraged and to be built up with everybody's already encouraged and everyone's already built up. How can we be the body of Christ? Right? We come together to encourage and build each other up. And this is what it's for. And so if we fake nice, if we just play the part, we're not doing anybody any good. Notice in John chapter 13, he said to love each other just as he loved us. And how did he do it? He sacrificed himself. In Galatians 3.13, it says that he carried our curses on the cross. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, our key text here, where he says, share each other's burdens. Somebody say, share each other's burdens. Each other's burdens. That word to share can also be translated as carry. 
So you think of Jesus carrying our burdens on the cross. He was sharing our burdens on the cross. Carry and share can be translated the same. So how did Jesus carry our curses? Well, he made a way for us to find freedom and have them lifted off of our shoulders by placing them onto the cross. How do we, or how are we supposed to carry each other's burdens? By sharing in them too. That doesn't mean participating in the sins and in the brokenness. Like if you're struggling with an addiction, I'm not going to go get addicted too. That's not how I share it. How do I share it? Well, I become concerned enough to avail myself to be part of your healing. So you don't have to battle it alone. I purpose and intention myself to pray for you on a regular basis, to check in with you, to call to encourage you, to offer you help in any way that I can to help you get out of your mess. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 2.4, he says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. By looking out for one another, by helping shoulder the burden, shoulder the weight, we can't be so focused on our lives and our problems that we overlook the people's lives and problems that are all around us. And there are a lot. So to fulfill the law of Christ is to let love be the driving force for the efforts to serve each other and even be self-sacrificial in the way we serve one another. And that can be hard to not just invite people in to help us, but to be aware and to make ourselves aware of what other people are going through so that we can help others. That can be hard, especially for those who struggle with generosity or are maybe introverted that don't like to be around people. It can be hard to... Be proactive to really help and be available to help other people. But yet the same call of God and command of Christ is on us all. It doesn't matter if you're outgoing or if you're not outgoing or introverted or not introverted. Just as God's called us all to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he's called us all to bear each other's burdens, to love as Jesus loved, to sacrifice how we want things and to lay ourselves down for those who are struggling. And beloved, when this type of love is at the forefront of God's church, we can see some powerful things happen. Number one, what we see is sin loses its primary weapon. 1 Peter 4.8, he says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Somebody say covers. covers. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean covers it up. Like, acts like it didn't happen. But here's what it does. The word cover means to hide, conceal, or envelop. So if you think about it this way, when a person has really made a mess of their lives, when, it, when they've just made mistake after mistake, and they are dealing with the shame of those mistakes, they're, they're condemning themselves, they just feel like they're no good, they have all these negative voices in their head. They can't hold on to hope because they don't know if there is hope. They have struggled with joy. They don't know who they are. Their identity is a mess because of all these mistakes. They can't think anything good could come out of their lives. The purpose, their purpose is hard to hold on to or discover. What does deep love do? It envelops all of that. It covers all of that. It breaks the power of all of that. All the discouragement, all the shame, it breaks that power of the shame so that what's in the past can die and stay buried there. 
And it, this is a powerful truth if you think about it this way. When deep love comes in and says, I know you've made a mistake, but I love you anyway. Man, that is a powerful thing. I remember seven years ago, I never felt more low in my entire life. I'd made a mess of a lot of things. A lot of stuff was self-destructing. I felt like all my hidden secrets were coming out all at once. And I knew that if God didn't do something in that moment, all life would become crashing down. It's like I felt like I was skating on thin ice and it was only a minute before the ground fell out from underneath me. And in the quietness of my living room, God came in and I had an encounter with the Lord. He delivered me from the demons that I was wrestling with. And in a moment, I encountered something I'd never experienced before. And that was the power of God's unconditional love. I knew I was completely responsible for everything that had happened. But in that moment, I felt completely loved, despite of everything I had done. I never felt that before in my life. Psalm 31, 21 says, Praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. In that low place, I felt like I was under attack from every side. And rightfully so, I deserved it. It was my fault. But all the words, all the shame, all the condemnation, all the fear was coming at me from, from every direction. But when God came into that room, not only did I know I was healed, but I was able to believe that despite of how things looked, everything was going to be okay. Because God's love covered the multitude of my sins. The shame I was in began to diminish. And the overwhelming power of his unfailing love came to the surface, and I felt completely different. It was a game changer for me. And that's the kind of love God wants to use us to pour out into each other's lives, into the lives of other people, where when we make a mistake or we got the situation going on and we're just bogged down, God's love can come in and can cover that and help you realize everything's going to be okay. You're going to make it. You're not as bad as you think. You're not a permanent screw-up. God, co love covers the multitude of sins. Number two is it creates the power, releases sin to lose its grip. We, we've talked in this series about strongholds and how the enemy creates strongholds in our lives. And it feels like we're a slave to the things that we wrestle with. And, and the, he gains ground in our lives when we make mistakes or we sin against the Lord. But this is what God's word tells us about a church that walks in love. Jude chapter 20 verse 23 says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. And in this way, you'll keep yourselves safe in God's love. There's a supernatural protection that is found in the love of Almighty God. It's a supernatural security. So we build each other up. We encourage each other. We pray in the power of the Spirit, and we can be, remain safe in the love of Almighty God. God's love is a protective covering. So it covers the multitude of sins, and it disarms the enemy and extinguishes his fiery arrows that he slings at us. But even more than that, he says... As we are safe in his love, continue to show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them out of the flames of judgment. Still show mercy still to others. 
to do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. From that place of safety and security, we are empowered to rescue those who are on shaky ground, whose faith is wavering, to pull people out of the fires of hell, because as God has delivered us, we can be testified, God can deliver you too. Just as I made it, you're going to make it. Just as I was healed, you can be healed. Just as God has done breakthrough work in my life, he can do breakthrough work in your life. Those who are on, are on steady ground, he says, we can still them by showing them acts of kindness and mercy to show them that there is more to hope for in Jesus Christ. And we can do that while still hating the sins that contaminate their lives. See, from that place of protection, that covering of God's love, we see the effects of sin lose their grip because when shame is no longer a factor, and condemnation is no longer a factor, what weapons are they going to form against us that can prosper? Nothing. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's love rescues, releasing the saving power of God as we share the gospel. You realize that every time you share the gospel with someone, you show them that, hey man, you've made a mess of your lives. You've made mistakes. But Jesus came. He lived a perfect life, the life you couldn't live. And he gave that life willingly because he loved you that much. And he died willingly on a cross so that through his shed blood, the power of sin could be broken over your life. And he didn't just die, but he rose again three days later, showing that he is God of all. He is almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. And he makes his invitation to you that whosoever will call on his name will be saved. Every time you release the gospel, you release the power of God to work in the hearts of those who would believe. And it's the power of God's unfailing love. A church driven by love will be the most contagious entity on the planet. People will come in droves to be a part of it. Why? Because there's nothing else like it. Nowhere else can you be a complete mess and be completely loved. Nowhere else can you be a complete mess and be completely loved. Why? Because there's only one kind of love, and that's God's love. That's God's love. God's love has the power to transform a life that way. That's why it's called everlasting and unfailing. And this is what we've been called to become in this community. One of the seven focuses we have of ministry here is that we would be a place of healing and deliverance. And another is to develop a heart of prayer in the city, but we can't lead the city to freedom or inspire the city to grow in prayer if we're not first walking in love for our city. How can we help those we don't love? Well, how do we know if we love them or not? We know we love them or not by how we live, by where our focuses are, by what's important to us, by where our priorities are. And this is one of the things we're praying for during the fasting and prayer, but also we'll be coming together for, for this 24 hours of prayer starting Friday night at 7, that God gives us a great love for our city. I heard it this week, uh, or in a podcast uh, this or, or last week, that you don't have authority where there is no love. That if you're going to do ministry, if you're going to be effective for the kingdom, you don't have authority where there is no love. Because love is the heart of God. It's the driving force behind everything we do. So if we don't first love our city and love our community, how can we have authority to help it? So we're going to be praying for this. We're going to be praying that God gives us a heart 
for our city. And I'm encouraging you to please register on the, the sheet out there at the connection table. We want to have all 24 hours filled up. You can sign up for more than one hour, but we'd like uh, there just be one name per, per spot. And then uh, once it fills up, we can double up at that point because we don't want everyone coming at one time and then the meeting place being open the rest of the 24 hours. We want to see this place filled for 24 hours, nonstop prayer. How awesome would that be? But we're encouraging you to come and intercede for our church, our community, our nation, our world, but to do so that God raises up a love for the people God's put in our pathway. And I know that God is doing something special here. There's been many words prophesied over this church. There's been many, many, you know, like goosebumps given in this room. You know, people are like, man, God's doing something here. We want to we aid God in the process. We don't want to be in his way. We want to get out of his way. And so this fasting and prayer time is really to posture our hearts, to get ready to suit up in what he has for us for the next season. And just think about this. How many breakthroughs might we see this year? And how many people might we impact this year with greater outpours of God's unfailing love through us in 2024? That's what's at stake. And that's why we're praying. And that's why we're coming together. Let's bow our heads for just a moment as we go into a time of prayer and invite Tony to come and start leading us in a time of response. Thinking about the power of God's unfailing love. Who do you know that needs to come face to face with God's unfailing love? Who do you know that's discouraged, that's broken, that's struggling, maybe has an addiction, maybe has a bondage, you know, something that they can't get out of. They keep making the same mistakes over and over again, setting them back and when it seems like they... We're about to have an opportunity. Who in your life do you know needs an encounter face-to-face -face with God's unfailing love? What areas do you need the love of God to cover in your own life? What are the struggles in your own life? What are the doubts? What are the, the pains? What are the issues that you need God to just come in? And just like the woman with the issue of blood, just one touch from the hem of his garment can make you whole. What issues do you have? What are you being overwhelmed with right now that needs a touch from the Lord? You see, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those of you who have heavy burdens, come to me, and I will give you rest. Why? Because he's gentle and humble. The Lord will never rebuke you or cast you out, but just like the woman caught in adultery, he'll pick you up and he'll say, go and sin no more. I will love you through the process of putting your life back together. Because the Lord was anointed with the Spirit of God to give sight to the blind, to open deaf ears, to open prison doors, and set captives free. This is what Jesus does. The first door he wants to open is the door of your heart. The often fear and insecurity and shame and guilt and condemnation and all the stuff that we accumulate over the years and struggles crowds him out from the one place that he wants. And today, God's just saying, look, just open your heart to me. Open your heart. 
If you don't have a relationship with God, you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never made that decision to say, Jesus, from this day forward, I am going to place my faith in you. You get to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. If you've never had that moment, this is the the first thing that God wants to do to radically transform your life. And all it takes is a simple decision. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if anyone wants to come to Him, if anyone wants to go to heaven when they die, if anyone wants a relationship with God, you must believe He exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him, those who pursue God with their heart, with their faith. Those are the ones that they're going to find Him. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you want a relationship with God, it begins by trusting in Jesus. And Jesus will open the door. As you open the door of your heart, Jesus is going to open the door of salvation to you. And the same power that he released when he died on the cross to break the curses over the entire world will come and begin to settle on you as you begin a relationship with him. And he'll start teaching you how to walk free. In the quiet of this moment, if you need a relationship with God, I'm just going to encourage you to pray this prayer with me, to make the decision as if you're standing before God right now, seeing Him face to face. Just a simple prayer. If you prayed in faith, the Bible says He will come and He will make His home in your heart and you will never be the same. Right where you are, you can just say, Father in heaven. Just say it with me. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Forgive me of my sins. Today, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior. I'm trusting in His death and His resurrection for my sins. Take my life, Lord, into Your hands. Now and forever, I'm Yours. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If I just want to say a blessing over you. If you dis- made that decision today, maybe for the first time, I want to pray a blessing over you because we want to rejoice. The Bible says when one person accepts Christ, God throws a party in heaven. And we just want to rejoice with the angels for just a moment. If you just prayed that prayer and you accepted Christ, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. And I just want to pray a blessing over you today. Anyone at all? Amen. In the back, thank you. Amen. Praise God. Lord God, you saw the hands. I thank you so much, Lord, for us being a place where people can come and hear about you, Jesus. Where they can come and they can hear about your love. I thank you, God, that you love them even in their mess. God, you said that even while we were still sinners, you came and you died for us. We didn't have to become good. We didn't have to become clean. God, you came to clean us up. And I'm so thankful, God, that today is the first day of a brand new life for the two that raised their hands today. I praise you, God. We rejoice with the angels and we say, God, receive all the glory and honor. It's all because of you. It's all for you. And all God's people said, Amen. God, we just thank you, Lord. We praise your name, and I thank you for those that made that decision. Now, God, for the next few moments, God, I ask that your love would pour out in this place as we open the altar in the time of response. Those that that are struggling, those who need an encounter with your unfailing love, God, I pray that you would draw their hearts, 
that they would come and they would kneel down, God, and as they kneel down on the stage like an old-fashioned altar, God, you would meet them right in their place of need. That your spirit would even now begin to move upon them, to, to breathe upon them, God. I, I just sense, Lord, that there's a deep work you're wanting to do. I pray that hard hearts would be softened. God, I pray that the faithlessness would be encouraged. God, that those that are on unsteady ground, that are on shakable ground, would be stilled right now, Lord, as your love encounters them, that you'd speak over them. You're my child in whom I'm well pleased. God, I just pray now, Holy Spirit, do your mighty work. Do your mighty work. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. If, if there is a place of need, you need the love of God to come and intersect that moment. You need a breakthrough and any struggle and any, any issue. Just come and kneel down in the front. We have a mem- prayer team members that will come pray over you. If you don't want anyone to pray with you, we'll pray over you. And we just want to be the church. We want to love each other and let God's love flow in this place as Tony sings. church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless